has been a tale of two seasons for the Boston Celtics. I probably aged about 10 years just from that series. I'd probably compare myself to like, you know, just a younger, smarter, more handsome, stronger Michael Jordan. Let's go Celtics. Go Patriots. These are these are guys who, when they when you give them a bowl of Cheerios in the morning, they finish every last drop of milk. Absolute uh, clown over here. I'm ready when you are, baby. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Offbeat Sports Podcast. Uh, today we're joined by Gordy Lockbaum, former player for Holy Cross Football. Gordy finished fifth and third in the Heisman Trophy voting in 1986 and 87, respectively, while playing many roles for the Crusaders, including running back, wide receiver, cornerback, safety, and he returned punts and kicks and led the team to an undefeated season in 1987. So thanks for joining us today, Gordy. We appreciate it. My pleasure. I mean, that's a hell of a uh, resume right there, right? Uh, but let's start with where your career started. So many people know you from Holy Cross, but many don't know that you attended Glassboro High School in New Jersey and played multiple sports, including football, baseball, and wrestling. So how do you feel participating in those other sports help prepare you to play football at the highest level? I'm a huge proponent of uh, multi-sports. I'm not uh, a specialist from a sport perspective. And I would I, I, I would like to see more kids play multi-sports and represent their high schools. And I, I believe that if you're a good athlete, that the colleges will find you. Um, you're going to do fine. <laughs> you don't have to specialize at a young age. And I think that's the way to go. And Fortunately, I grew up in a town that had um, a great athletic uh, mantra and we just, we fought, you know, neighborhood against neighborhood. Um, we were fortunate enough to have great athletes at our high school. It was a small high school, but we excelled at every sport. And I was very fortunate to grow up in that town of Glassboro because I played baseball, I wrestled and I played football and I love wrestling. And that was one of my favorite sports and I ended up coaching it. Um, for many, many years. Yeah, you can't beat that, right? And I feel like especially playing sports like baseball and wrestling, as you said, with specialization, um, there's different skills you'll learn in each of them that you wouldn't normally get in football, right? Because um, I know in baseball, it's really important is, you know, really working with hand-eye coordination, which in football, I mean, is mostly for the skill position players. But, I mean, there's a lot of different skills you can take from both of those, as, as you would know, right? Yes, I, I agree. Um, baseball, you know, if you're playing the outfield, you turn your hips, you 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 know, give ground to catch a ball, and uh, wrestling, just hand fighting and um, having leverage and just mental toughness. So each sport brings something to the table. And I just – I believe it's important from that respect. Uh, that's a personal thing. But I also believe that it's important to represent your high school um, because not every athlete is going to be the best. Not every athlete is going to be the one or two guy. Um, you need those guys that are the four, five, six, seven, eight, nines that are going to round out your team and make you guys special uh, at the high school level. So I, I would just encourage people to play sport because it, every, every team I played on that was good always had those uh, fringe guys that took our team over the top. So for those that haven't seen it, um, there's an ESPN 30 for 30 that, you know, kind of jumps into your career titled, it's called the throwback. 
Um, and the documentary did mention that you were recruited by FBS schools like Penn State, Syracuse, Rutgers, and Navy, to name a few. Those are some big-time programs competing for the, the FBS National Championship every year. So why did you end up selecting a small school in the FCS like Holy Cross over one of those bigger nationally recognized schools? Yeah, I, you know, you're 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, trying to make a decision on what school you're going to go to. Um, it's a very difficult decision. For me, it was, I had a, like a 350 mile um, circle that I put around Glassboro, New Jersey, because I wanted to be close to home. Uh, I wanted to be near my parents and my family. Um, and I, it, was, it was a situation where when I, I went to Syracuse, I went to Navy, I went to Rutgers, I went to William Mary, I went to a lot of these schools in um, Penn State. And at the end of the day, uh, when I went to Holy Cross, I just felt really comfortable there. And, you know, Mark Duffner was my re recruiting uh, coach at the time. He had South Jersey. Um, he just really connected with my family and with myself. And when it came time to make a decision, um, after I got off the plane, I, I remember that was one of the only places I went to by myself. My parents went to my, most of my recruiting trips with me, but I went to Holy Cross by myself and I just uh, really connected with uh, the people up there. Not just the football players and the athletes, but I, I saw the friends that they had and that second level of friendship uh, meant a lot to me. And it proved out when I ended up going there because, you know, many of my friends that were there were athletes, but also um, they were non-athletes as well and just really special people. So did, did you enjoy attending a small school like Holy Cross? Like, was that your goal going into school or um, were, were you open to the, the bigger schools? Like, was that or was that a turnoff for you? That's a really good question, because I think that sometimes we can uh, pigeonhole ourselves and think, all right, I'm a big school type of person, university setting, that, that'll be uh, appropriate for me, or a small school. Um, be, coming from a small high school where there were, you know, 500 kids in the whole high school, um, Holy Cross still felt kind of big. I had friends that went to schools that had 2,000 or 2,500 kids. And by the junior year, they were really tired of it. Um, so that's a really good question. And I didn't run out of gas in terms of feeling like it was too small. Um, maybe because I was so busy with football, maybe because I was so busy with classes and all the stuff I had going on. But I hear what you're saying. Some people feel like that level of, uh, you know, that many kids, you're going to kind of run out of gas and want something a little bigger. But I, I, I did not. I was fine. Yeah, so as you mentioned, you played for Coach Mark Duffner at Holy Cross. So do you want to elaborate elaborate a little more on how uh, Coach Duffner uh, impacted your life uh, on and off the field during your recruitment process and uh, during your time at college and after? Yeah, he um, – well, you know, it was a, that's, a, that's a long uh, road with us because he recruited me out of high school um, – he made a huge impact on my, my parents, my grandma, who lived with us at the time, um, my brothers and sisters. Um, you know, he came down to South Jersey and he grabbed myself, Byron Dixon, Lee Hull, and Tommy Estep, who all were three-year starters um, for Holy Cross. 
And he used to get off the plane and he'd come down South Jersey and just do a little loop and see us all. Um, and he got us, he, he got us all to come and we all ended up being impactful players. Um, but you know, the, the thing that he was just so genuine and someone who, uh, pushed you really hard, uh, to be the best you could be. Um, I think he was a real judge of character. I think he was a real good judge of uh, talent. I think he was somebody that, um, he pushed you really hard, but in a way that made you want to do better and to please him, uh, to please your teammates and to uh, just get better as a player and as a person. Um, some coaches can grind you out. I'll, I'll put it on the other side. And he never ground you out. He just, he just built you up and made you feel like you could always be better. And that's what I always felt I could be uh, with him as a coach. So when you started your college football career, you began your career playing cornerback your freshman year, and then you shifted to safety your sophomore year. But your junior year is when you started um, playing both sides of the ball, which you started running back your junior year. So how, how smooth did you find the transition to offense? I mean, playing defense, to start your career and how did you manage to take twice as many snaps as, you know, a regular football player each week? Cause you're on, you're on the field, regardless of who has the ball. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I, I was a wrestler. I was uh, an athlete. I grew up in a neighborhood that we just played sports all the time. I felt like I could always run forever and, and just play forever. I always wanted to be on the field. I played both ways from the time I was a little kid and all through high school for sure. Um, but when the transition happened after, uh, Coach Carter died uh, and Mark Duffner took over, we were in a situation where things were going to change. Um, and he embraced the change. He did not push away our history of what Coach Carter built at the school uh, in terms of taking us to another level. But he just said, all right, we're going to do it a little bit different. And um, when he brought in Tom Rossley, who wanted to do a run and shoot type of offense, um, we didn't have all the players that were in place to really make that happen. And, and I fortunately got the opportunity to run on offense for a little while. And it would have been like going from cornerback to safety and then over to the offense. But they said, you know what, um, rather than just take you off the defense, why don't we just let you play defense and play offense? So the transition was hard in a sense that there was a lot to do, but it was, it was good for me because I knew what defensive people thought about. I knew how they set up their coverage. I knew what the adjustments were when they were scheming and trying to, you know, disguise coverage that I could just make it happen. Um, so when I went out of my roots or, you know, tried to catch the ball or, or run the ball, I always knew what the defense was thinking and trying to do. So you would say, um, or would you say that um, because you knew what the defense was going to do, you know, oh, I'm getting doubled. I'm being doubled on this play. Let me make a cut inside to get open or just little things like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and there were times where keep in mind, like we were doing the, the, when we were doing run and shoot, we were doing a lot of the slot type stuff that um, we were, we were 20 years ahead of what they were doing in the NFL. Um, when I went to the NFL, we weren't even doing that kind of stuff. So I was running in the slot. I was doing like the Edelman and the, you know, the Welker type stuff where I'm working on linebackers. Um, 
linebackers really weren't um, capable of covering a slot receiver at that time. So even if they doubled me, they were doubling me with linebackers, not with defensive backs. So I could just go pick on somebody and just work on one linebacker. And, you know, if they're trying to, you know, up and down, you know, or trying to, you know, clamp me or whatever, I could, I could figure it out. I could either run through them or I could just work on one guy and still catch the ball. So as you know, a ton of planning, film sessions, and preparation goes into each college football game. There's a lot that you have to prepare for week to week with different opponents. Um, and I mean, and that goes regardless of who you're playing, right? Because if you take an opponent too lightly, that could be the difference between winning or losing the game. So how difficult did you find balancing many different positions on the field? As you said, you, you were all over the place on both sides of the ball and prepare for many different aspects of the game each week. Well, fortunately, you know, that coaching staff between Mark Duffner and Kevin Coyle and Tom Rossley and, you know, it just goes on and on. That, that coaching staff, they all ended up in the NFL. They were in their 30s at the time. They were innovative. They were they prepared us beyond belief. But at the time, also, we we didn't have the same restrictions in terms of hours that we could be watching film, um, meeting with coaches, practicing. You know, nowadays, I think they have limitations in terms of how many hours they can be on the field and in meetings. Um, that wasn't the case back in the 80s, fortunately. So we could watch film after dinner. Um, and, you know, in, in my in my opinion, there's a lot of I, I was a mental player as much as I was a physical player. So I always wanted to be ahead of the game in terms of um, being prepared and the coaches could prepare you. And then it was up to us to just take it in and then execute once the game started. And I always felt I was prepared. I never felt surprised by anything the opponent was doing. We always used to laugh that um, it was amazing how, how well prepared we felt with that coaching staff. They were amazing. So you just mentioned um, you get the, many of those coaches uh, were ended up in the NFL specifically Mark Duffner. He he's on the coaching staff for the Cincinnati Bengals, which I'm seeing right here, um, which they just made the Super Bowl last year. So did you get to talk to Mark about any of that? Uh, um, and if so, uh, what, <laughs> how, like what was kind of that experience for him? You know, he he's, he's amazing because if I text him right now, he'll text me back. You know, he, he is, so engaged and so committed to his players and he considers although he has been in the nfl all these years he's been with cincinnati jacksonville um uh, miami uh tampa bay all these teams he still considers his time at holy cross very special and uh we love that about him he, he's still our guy and and he still considers us his, his guys. So we love that about him. And another guy, you know, uh, Mike Sherman as well, who was head coach for the Green Bay Packers. I forgot about even to mention him, but there, there's a fourth. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that, that went through, but Coach Duff is the most special person that you would ever want to meet. I mean, he's amazing. Uh, we're just so blessed to have him at that point in his life. And for somebody to come in who was, uh, you know, such a close friend of Coach Carter, uh, somebody that was 
you know, a linebacker coach, defensive coordinator, and then have to take over that program at that time and try to figure out how to navigate through such a difficult period where, you know, we're 18, 19, 20 year old kids trying to deal with the fact that we just lost our head coach and he took it head on. He just embraced us. He hugged us. He always hugged us, but he hugged us really big time through that time and, and took us on to the next level. And we went 10 and one and then 11 and 0. Yeah. So um, I wasn't going to ask this just because we usually ask this to the current college athletes, but you know what? I think it's going to be an interesting answer. So I'll go with it. So the biggest thing in college athletics recently is the NIL stuff. Um, I'm assuming you've heard of it, the name, image, and likeness stuff. So what are your thoughts on this? And would you have liked to have had that when you were uh, playing at the collegiate level? Yeah, it's like 30 years too late. (laughs) 40 years too late. (laughs) I could have made some money. But, you know, uh, I I get it. You know, I I always believe that we should have been paid something um, on top of because, you know, coming back, uh, from a away game at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night, getting off a bus and getting handed $5 for meal money was not real cool, but it, 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 that's what the game was. And that's what it was. You know um, I think they should have given us a little bit more, but you know, it is what it is, but it's not a thing, but, but I, I, the, the, the one thing that's really hard, like what we dealt with in my time at Holy Cross, I will tell you, is there was always this um, chance that there could be some animosity about someone getting, um, you know, more notoriety versus someone, someone else. So I got a lot of notoriety and I get that. And that's got to be really hard on teammates who make it happen for you. So, for example, the lineman and the quarterback who throws the ball and everybody else who's not getting accolades and getting to the Heisman. Um, there, there's a lot of pitfalls right there that could, could team up. But one of the things we were very fortunate with was um, the guys really understood, well, you know, if they're here watching Gordy, you know what, they're going to see me. So a lot of people got opportunities to go to the pros, um, had opportunities to go to the next level. And, that might not have happened um, if Holy Cross was, you know, not in the national limelight like they were because they were chasing, you know, my stuff, whatever. And you mentioned, so you mentioned the Heisman. So 1987, you finished third in the Heisman voting uh, and ahead of uh, incredible players and future NFL Hall of Famers and Emmett Smith and uh, Thurman Thomas uh, and had the opportunity to attend that Heisman Award ceremony in New York City in both 1986 and 1987. So what was it like going to event like uh, going to an event like that and seeing all of the pride and glory of that, something like that? And how did it also how did it feel knowing you finished ahead of some of the greatest players to ever play the game? Um, it was amazing, first of all, to go to the downtown athletic club. Um was amazing it just to be in that in that building and now it's in a more prominent place uh you know uh but back in the day it was in a very historic building down in the battery down in you know south manhattan there um we enjoyed it we loved it it was really exciting uh i got to go with my coaches and friends and um and my 
my parents, of course, and it was an amazing time. It was something that you would never even imagine could happen. So certainly uh, the blessings were, were there to make that even happen. Um, and then and to finish fifth and then third was, you know, beyond belief. Um, it was exciting. Did you get to meet like Emmett Smith and those guys like and like get to like actually interact with them? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, people would be more interested in the fact that, you know, it was uh, Brian Bosworth and Vinny Testaverde uh, the junior year. But the senior year was more impactful for me because it was Don McPherson and Tim Brown um, who are, were two amazing people and uh, amazing men who had purpose and you know were guys that you would really you know they weren't out to make limelight they were just out to be good football players and be good people and um so it was really a, a you know tale of two cities so to speak uh going from junior year to senior year so like as you mentioned you were sitting in the same row as um brown and testaverde like what was that like being able to see them five feet away from you and and playing in a small school like Holy Cross, say, wow, I'm really on these guys' level. Like, I'm seen as an equal in terms of my ability. Like, what was that like? It's pretty special, of course. I mean, it was, you know, a time where, you know, again, you just, you can't, just I didn't even own a suit. I, you know, I'm just, I got a sport jacket on that I, you know, in slacks from Macy's or something. I, I don't even know what I had. You know, I, I didn't even own a suit at the time. And these guys had tuxes on and stuff, but I didn't know. Um, it, it was amazing. It was just beyond belief. Uh, so after your fantastic college football career, you were selected by the Steelers in the ninth round of the 88 NFL draft. So how did it feel being drafted by a team like the Steelers? And like, af like after that whole process, like what was kind of your mindset going into the the pros well uh the Steelers were not the Steelers of old at that time they were just coming through you know their their Super Bowl era um so 1988 89 um a lot of the players were still there it was I mean it was it was an amazing time just to go in there and see you know to have Mike Webster and um, you know, uh, these guys that were historically, um, it was almost like you're playing next to your father, you know, a guy like him who had been there for all those years. Um, and then just the, the whole team, Chuck Knoll, you know, uh, being there and, um, the coaching staff was amazing, uh, at the time, but they were, they were kind of. The, the tires were worn. They were, they were really struggling at the time. So I felt like it was a good opportunity to make the team. And I just, I just couldn't get over the hump and make it. So I ended up getting cut, you know, and having to drive the Pennsylvania turnpike from Pitt, Pittsburgh all the way back to South Jersey, which is a long ride with tears in your eyes. <laughs> so through your four years at Holy Cross, um, do you have a favorite game and memory that you have 
And I mean, I know you played in a lot of them, but is there one that kind of sticks out to you that, that you'll always remember? Yeah. And a bunch. I mean, you know, there are a bunch of games in 86, that 10 and one year, which 10 and one sounds awesome, but we had a lot of nip and tuck games where we had to gut them out. Um, but there's also something to be said about, you know, in the 87 year where we're 11 and 0 and we were down three, nothing to army and we never trailed the rest of the season, you know? So there's a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of, I, I, I it was nice to excel and, and execute. It's not fun when you're, you know, feet are on the fire and trying to find a way to get through it. But when you do, there's a lot of joy in that as well. So I would, I would say the army games, which were, you know, especially junior year where, you know, we were in a situation where we're, we're five and oh, we go in there, army beat Tennessee, who was ranked at the time. And we had to go in and gut it out. We beat them 17 to 14. And man, it was, it was just a nerve wracking game. And I was on the field a lot that day and had some decent stats. And, uh, and that was one that you walked away with feeling like you accomplished something. And uh, we accomplished a lot in different ways, but that was one game I would say say that um I, I was most happy about yeah and uh we just got a few um uh, small fun questions for you to wrap it up so of the many of the many positions you played which one was your personal favorite and why i love playing slot i just love being a receiver um i like catching the ball um i love adjusting to routes i mean one of the things that i, I think that a lot of people don't realizes how many adjustments you make uh, in the routes and the fact that you're on the same page with your quarterback, you know, people saying, why are you throwing there? Why are you throwing here? But, you know, whether they're man or too deep or three or this or that, you know, everything's an adjustment. And if we're on the same page and we're just reading one another, it's, it's the most satisfying thing on the football field. Uh, so who would you say is the greatest of all time in the NFL? Wow. That's a hard one. Um, oh, boy. You know what? There's a lot of people I love. Um, I like Walter Payton. I just I just think I just I love him as a person. I love him as a hard running back and a guy that um, just didn't quit. He never stepped out of bounds. He just he fought hard and, and he's a quality guy. Um, I mean, I hope I don't hang up and then go, I should have said so-and-so, but I think Walter Payton's a really good pick. I love him. Hey, not a bad one. I mean, as who Patriots, do you like? As Patriots fans, I mean, our answer is obvious. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Tom Brady's kind of our guy. Uh, if we don't go with him, we'd probably get in trouble with our listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we get a lot of backlash if we said anybody but 12. <laughs> what do we – we had – um who was on the uh, – Devin Haskins was on the other day, uh in uh, cornerback for Holy Cross right now, and he said Tony Romo, and I just – I was like, all right. I will smack him next time I see him. There, there's a lot more better people than Tony Romo. <laughs> So the NFL this season is wide open. There's really no team that you can kind of look at and say, oh, that team is – no one's competing with them. It's very – there's a lot of different guys who could go for the Super Bowl this year. 
So what? who is your prediction for Super Bowl winner in February? Oh, boy. Well, you, you know that injuries can kind of creep in towards the end of the season, and that's really a big component of all this. But I'll go with my Eagles. I, I think the Eagles is going to make it happen this year. Eagles, come on. Oh, boy, this is just – oh, the Eagles, come on. Mm, that hurts as a Patriot fan, too. That made you squirmy. Uh, not a Philadelphia guy at all, across the board. I'm a diehard Celtics fan, diehard Patriots fan. Between Eagles, Sixers, I'm just like, all right. <laughs> so you think the you think the Patriots are gonna win? Oh no, 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 <laughs> not by any means. I'm not. I'm not delusional. Um, I don't know. I think it's hard for the the Chiefs to lose right now. I think they're just so good. That's fair. Uh, and I think I, if the Bills can kind of put it together, they should win it. But they're kind they of never do. Them. They never do. I feel yeah, like the Bills Eagles- have been a little sketchy. Hey, the Patriots are going to take them down tomorrow night or t- two nights. Yeah, Thursday night, I, I I think it's going to be an upset. Uh, I, I don't want to – we got the throwback uniforms coming. We're, oh, it's, it's just perfect. It's perfect time. I feel like the Eagles can kind of be hard to judge this year too because they obviously have a really good record, but they haven't had the – they haven't played like the top-tier team, so it's kind of hard to like where, where do we place them, you know? We got a right. cupcake schedule. Fraudulence. They are fraudulent. <laughs> Dude, you know, I'm from South Jersey, from outside of Philly, so all my boys are going to be watching this. They're not going to like you too much. They're not going to hey. watch your podcast anymore. Hey, I, I don't need to be liked. I don't need to be liked. But I can be the Stephen A. Smith of the Offbeat Sports Podcast. Or who is another one? Max Kellerman was hated. Um, Colin Coward's hated. I'll be that guy. I don't I don't mind. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on, Philly. Bring it on. (laughs) So we've had current Holy Cross football players on the show recently, namely Peter Oliver, the starting running back, Jalen Coker, a receiver, and Devin Haskins, who's a corner and um, is on the special teams unit. Um, Since you still follow the team, what are your thoughts on this year's Holy Cross team? And do you think they can win the national championship? And as well, do you see yourself and anyone that's currently on the team that kind of play similar to you or has a similar mental approach to the game? Uh, That's tough. But I will say that uh, one of the the things you, you look at as a past guy and when you're on a good team is you say, who can play? on your team. So who, who could have played with us 35 years ago? I mean, can't believe it's 35, but it is that long ago. And there are a bunch of guys and Peter is super tough. Saluka is super tough and athletic and he's really, you know, moved up his game. They got some really good athletes. Coker is just like a, a guy that can just, he, he doesn't feel the pressure. He just makes things happen. Um, so there, there are a lot of guys athletically that are really good and have some street smarts. And that's one of the things that I always wonder about is whether or not guys these days and athletes these days have any um, street smarts and ability to be, you know, like you're, you're, you know, you're playing on the sandlot and some, some don't, I'll be honest. Some are so robotic that, that I don't, I don't trust them to really make it happen when it counts. And, this team and these guys, the last three or four years, um, they seem to pull it together when they need to. 
They've won a lot of tight games, which is really hard to do um, because there's, there's good athletes on the other side of the ball too. And they just always seem to can't come up on top. Now that can bite you in the butt too. Um, you don't always put yourself in those situations. It'd be nice to just blow somebody out once in a while. Um, but we'll see. I mean, they got UNH coming up in a couple of days and we'll see what, what happens there, but a little spooky because kids are very athletic these days. They jump higher, they run faster, they're tough. Um, but we'll see. Do you think the team has a chance at the national title in a few weeks or? I do, but you got to get through, you got to get through next week and you got to take it one week at a time, you know? Um, you know, you, if you start looking ahead too far, then you, I guarantee you're going to get swamped right out of the chute. So beat UNH first, then deal with the top seed. So then you got to punch them right in the face and, and make something happen. But you got to win the next game first. You know, for a Philadelphia guy, that's a real Bill Belichick mindset. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. All right. I got uh, I got one more for you that uh, we usually ask uh, the current collegiate people that I, I think is going to be interesting because you had a whole different era of celebrities. But if you could have had one celebrity come and watch you play when you were playing, who would it be? Celebrity come watch me play. Yeah, this is, these are the hard-hitting questions right here. Yeah, yeah. That's what separates the boys from the men. Yeah. Wow. Come watch me play. Yeah, any oh, sort of gosh. Anyone. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's there's a lot of good ones. I mean, I, I I'm I'm still always gravitating back towards Philadelphia. I love um Dr. J and Pete Rose and all those tough guys that, that, that came on through. Um, but no, I, the only guy I, I, I ever wanted to make sure that they were there and guy and girl was my mom and dad. Um, not to get mushy, but they're always there and watching me and supporting me. And, and that was two people that I always loved to have having in my games. Most of all. Hey, that's a good answer right there. Right. My favorite answer that we got from that one was Antonio Brown. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> who knows what that would have turned into but oh that would have been a whole mess yeah <laughs> uh so that's all we got for you thank you uh gordy for taking the time to do this interview with us we appreciate it my pleasure thank you very much so tell tell all your philly fans to come at me i, I don't mind i'll take i'll take the heat i don't mind uh, as long as they're watching. <laughs> well, they are tough. You know, yeah. they are tough. Hey. They might be a little greasy from their cheesesteak, but they'll, they'll come get you. Hey, I'll take I'll take the heat. I'll take it. I don't mind. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Appreciate it. Uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram at offbeat underscore sports and on TikTok at offbeat sports. And make sure on the, uh, on the, on the lookout for the next episode. So uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We appreciate it. Call them all Texas.